This is Radio Health Journal. I'm Nancy Benson. This week, one side effect of cancer treatment most patients don't think about in advance. And then all of a sudden, the diagnosis of advanced stage liver disease is made in cirrhosis, and they're shocked, and they're looking at such treatments as liver transplantation. The hidden effects of cancer treatment when Radio Health Journal returns. I'm Reed Pence, the producer and host of Radio Health Journal. If you like listening to Radio Health Journal, you'll also like our sister show, Viewpoints, which covers a wide array of topics, from education to history to the environment. Here's a preview of what they're covering this week on Viewpoints. I was already very skeptical and thought she was a very dangerous person. The story behind Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes. Then, Lin-Manuel Miranda, you know, the creator of Hamilton, he put it as, I have a lot of apps open in my head right now. That's what he likes to say. The benefits of juggling several different passions in life. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in depth on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. Listen to Radio Health Journal and Viewpoints on your favorite radio station. And subscribe and listen anytime on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Also, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Radio Health Journal. About 1.6 million Americans will be diagnosed with cancer this year. And over the course of our lifetimes, roughly 40% of us will receive that bad news. Today, nearly two-thirds of people diagnosed with cancer survive it. But for many, life will never be the same, sometimes in ways they hadn't counted on. At least 60% of people with cancer treatment end up with a sexual problem. That's Dr. Leslie Scover, a clinical psychologist who's internationally known for her work on sex and cancer at the Cleveland Clinic and MD Anderson Cancer Center. She's the founder of a startup website, willtolove.com, designed to help people solve sexual problems and infertility that result from cancer treatment. The most common ones for men and women include a decrease in desire for sex and the ability to feel pleasure during sex. For women, the second big one is dryness and pain during sexual activity. And for men, of course, we often think about erectile dysfunction or ED, as we tend to call it. Those are topics that most people are shy about bringing up. This is no exception, and the reluctance comes from both ends. Only about 20% of people with sexual problems after cancer ever seek help from a healthcare professional. And I think the barriers include things like most oncologists get very little training in talking to patients about sex, and oncology nurses and social workers have a lot of motivation to help patients, but often also don't have a lot of knowledge or training. Cancer clinics are increasingly crowded and busy, and often the atmosphere doesn't encourage asking questions. And a lot of professionals assume that if a patient has a question about sex, they will bring it up. But our research suggests that only happens maybe 10% of the time in medical settings, and that maybe 90% of the time people are too embarrassed or think it's not appropriate or just, you know, don't bring up their questions. Some situations may promote even more reluctance. 
some people are gay or bisexual and may not want to disclose that in a medical setting. They may have been negatively judged in the past. And we tend to assume that everyone's heterosexual when we're talking to them about sex in a, in a medical setting. And also often patients and healthcare professionals are different genders and ages and cultures. So when healthcare professionals have grown up in a minority culture or when patients have, they may be less open about talking about sex. When clinicians do bring up sexual issues, Scover says they typically do it only in the starkest terms, as if the mechanics of sex are all that matter. But she says people are worried about more than that. Like, will I be able to enjoy a variety of sexual practices? Will my partner still find me attractive if my cancer was related to a sexually transmitted virus? Am I still dangerous to my partner? And then they have the issue of dating after cancer. And people often are reluctant and worried about how a new partner is going to accept the news that they have had a history of cancer and end up with some kind of damage to their sex life. Seeking help after treatment is a good thing, since so many patients never do it at all. But Scover says it's probably a little bit late. Addressing the issue actually should start as soon as a patient gets a cancer diagnosis. Survival is clearly their number one concern in choosing a treatment, and patients may think about side effects like nausea as well. But Scover says sexual fallout is only sometimes considered at all. When we do surveys, it appears like about half of patients get something in their informed consent for treatment, whether that's surgery, chemotherapy, or radiation therapy that mentions the possibility of a sexual problem. But that means that about half don't. And it's true that breast and prostate are the sites we think of a lot, but what about colorectal, bladder cancer, and some systemic cancers, intensive chemotherapy can cause premature menopause for women or damage nerves or hormone levels in men. Scover says especially when it comes to prostate and breast cancer, a variety of different treatments are equally effective. However, they provide completely different sexual consequences, and doctors often don't adequately explain them. So for prostate, there's the question of radical prostatectomy, which probably leaves about three quarters of men with significant erection problems, no matter how good the surgeon is, and even if the man starts out with good erections. Or with breast cancer, there's a lot of pressure now, sometimes inappropriately, to do a complete mastectomy and breast reconstruction without a lot of explanation that the reconstructed breast may look pretty, but it's not going to have much of any sensation, let alone erotic sensation. One other facet of life that's often affected by cancer treatment is fertility. Clinics are getting better about talking about it with younger patients, but only about a quarter of men who are eligible to bank sperm do so, and only about 10% of women preserve their eggs for later use. There are a couple of major problems. One is that the decision to preserve eggs or sperm or create embryos before cancer treatment has to be made usually relatively quickly. Like the whole process may only take anywhere from a couple of days to a couple of weeks for women, but there are a few types of cancer like acute leukemia where it may not be safe to postpone treatment even that much. For most other types of cancer, it isn't 
terribly dangerous to postpone treatment as far as we know or research has shown. But patients and even oncologists have the mentality, oh my God, you have cancer, you should get treatment tomorrow. So although sometimes, of course, just scheduling cancer surgery or radiation therapy is going to take several weeks because of the schedules of the treatment settings. So that's one barrier is the fear of delaying treatment. Preserving eggs is an especially costly procedure as well, and insurance often doesn't cover it. But Scover says many cancer clinics, even some that are well-known, are poorly equipped to deal with sexual and infertility problems in patients. Scover's extensive website, willtolove.com, seeks to fill that gap by answering questions and even offering self-help and counseling services. You can find out more by visiting will, the number two, love.com, or through a link on our website, radiohealthjournal.net. Our studio producer is Jason Dickey. I'm Nancy Benson. Radio Health Journal returns in just a moment. Recommendations for the screening, diagnosis, and treatment of various diseases often differ by organization, making it difficult to know which ones to follow. American College of Physicians President Dr. Robert McLean says that ACP's clinical recommendations, developed through a rigorous process, can help patients and doctors inform their decisions. The hallmark of the American College of Physicians methodology is that we base our clinical guidelines and clinical guidance statements on the best available scientific evidence. ACP considers clinical benefits and harms of an intervention and variations in patient values and preferences. ACP develops clinical guidelines based on a systematic review of the available evidence. Their guidance statements provide direction on topics where several clinical guidelines issued by other organizations are available but are conflicting. The aim of guidance statements is to reconcile clinical guidelines to help physicians provide evidence-based care for their patients. Learn more at acponline.org. Paid not attorney spokesperson Fierce Nakawati with Principal Office in Dallas, Texas. Attention landscapers and anyone working in the landscape industry. This is an important alert for users of the Weed Killer Roundup that have been diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. A California jury recently awarded $289 million to a landscaper who claimed Roundup gave him cancer. Roundup is the most widely used herbicide in the United States with billions of pounds applied each year. Farm workers and landscapers are at the highest risk of injury from exposure. Time is limited to file a claim. If you work with Roundup Weed Killer and were diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, don't wait. Call the Roundup up legal helpline now. The number to dial is 800-208-0501. That number again is 800-208-0501. You could be entitled to significant compensation. If you've been exposed to Roundup and have been diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, don't wait. Call the Roundup legal helpline right now. 800-208-0501. That's 800-208-0501. Again, 800-208-0501. Call now. What are you going to do with your old car? You can try selling it, you could junk it, or you can donate it to Heritage for the Blind. Your car will be towed away for free and your donation is tax deductible. Just call 1-800-835-1478. Heritage for the Blind accepts cars, vans, trucks, and boats. It doesn't matter if your vehicle runs or not. It will be towed away for free and you'll be supporting those that need help. Heritage for the Blind is a nonprofit organization that helps the visually impaired live fuller lives. Call right now to donate your car, and as a special thank you, you'll receive a free three-day vacation voucher to over 50 locations. Call Heritage for the Blind right now. 
Call 1-800-835-1478. Donating is easy and your vehicle is towed away for free. Plus, you'll get a free vacation voucher for donating. Call now, 1-800-835-1478. That's 1-800-835-1478. Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTracks Communications. If you enjoyed this broadcast, please support our show by subscribing, sharing it with a friend, and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and RadioHealthJournal.net. Also, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Radio Health Journal. Coming up next week on Radio Health Journal. We don't know who best responds to an app. We don't know who gets better. In some cases, who gets worse, who doesn't respond, and who has perhaps side effects. Using health apps on your smartphone might not be as effective as you think. Then the link between obesity and cancer. Obesity is a risk factor that is rivaling smoking in regards to risk of developing cancer. All that and more on Radio Health Journal.